Wholesaling Studios, powered by RumbleOn.com. This is the Home Plate Podcast with Ryan Port and Calvin Smith. Talking all things baseball in the city of Nashville. Just a bit outside. On Nashville's best sports talk. ESPN. 1025 The Game. Welcome into another edition of the Home Plate Podcast, ESPN 102.5 The Game and TheGameNashville.com. Ryan Porth alongside Calvin Smith here to recap a weird but exciting World Series as the Washington Nationals take down the Houston Astros in seven games. We did it, Ryan. We made it through an entire baseball season. I can't believe, uh, I, I can't believe we're here. It was I mean, just neither. the beginning of March when we started this podcast. It, it feels like... We've grown as a podcast since then, too. Like, at the beginning, there was very much, like, the feeling out process, but now it's, like, just normal, and it's crazy that we've made it this far and that a whole baseball season has elapsed because baseball season is really long, and in March, in March, this moment seemed like forever away. I know. It did. Well, it's become a fun Friday tradition to talk baseball uh, with you and all of the guests that have appeared on the Home Play podcast all season long, and before we get... Any further, I do want to send our condolences to the family of Chuck Merriweather. Chuck Merriweather, a longtime Major League Baseball umpire, Nashville native. He was an umpire from 1988 to 2009. He passed away here, I believe it was October 26th when he passed away. So wanted to send our condolences to the Merriweather family. I did not have the privilege of meeting Chuck, but everyone who did says that he was a fantastic person. Mm-hmm. So... Condolences to the Merriweather family. Sending that out to our baseball family. Absolutely. So, Game 7. I had a feeling after Game 6, Washington was going to finish the fight, as they would say. Really? After Game 6? I had a really good feeling that they were going to win. See, I thought, oh man, I mean, this is this is quintessential sports. Like, this is a coin flip if I've ever seen a coin flip, and I'd bet on the Astros in a coin flip. Did you know that road teams have a winning record in Game 7 of the World Series? That's time. awesome. 21 and 19. That is awesome. And I mean, of course it happened in this series. The road team won every single game. <laughs> yeah. And that's the first time in all of sports that that has happened. All of sports that the road team yes. won every single game of a seven game series. So let's start with game seven. Howie Kentrick hits one off the either foul or fair pole, however you want to say it. Yeah. That changed the entire, that seventh inning changed the entire landscape of yep. that entire game. Going into that, I thought, all right, Astros are going to win the World Series. This was supposed to happen. Grinky was rolling. Yep. He gives up the home run to Anthony Rendon. He walks Juan Soto, and A.J. Hinch pulls Zach Grinky. Mm-hmm. Do you agree with that? I know hindsight's always twenty twenty. Yeah, but yeah. in the moment where you're like, you know, this is what A.J. Hinch needs to do. I am going to have a... I It's, it's, it's hard for me to disagree with A.J. Hinch. Because I know how informed the Astros are, and in the situation, you don't leave that guy in too long, in my radically different view from what I had two years ago. I used to think, let your starting pitcher ride. Like, you got you go with your guns, but not anymore. And you're trying to be proactive and not leave the guy in too long, because either way can be a mistake. And when you have data that you can leverage matchups, and you have some weapons like the Strohs do have in their bullpen, maybe it's not the best bullpen in the league, but if they have a matchup they think they can leverage, they should go do it and play the odds that way. So, no, I don't disagree with A.J. Hinch. I mean, Will Harris was pretty good all postseason long, especially getting yeah. out of jams. Yeah. And Howie Kendrick 
goes opposite field on a cutter, and he smoked that ball right off the foul pole, and the entire landscape of that game changed. The Nationals win 6-2. Steven Strasburg named World Series MVP. Did you agree with that? with those MVP honors? Yes. I mean, he's the guy who was on the mound in the big games. In the big moments, Steven Strasburg was out there, and he was really, really good. He's the reason why the Nats got a chance in Game 7. Yes. By just completely and utterly dominating the Astros in Game 6. Exactly. So, no, I mean, Steven Strasburg, I, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I know they were good. Like, that's and that's the kind of guy you want. I could see giving it to Soto or somebody like that or Rendon, but... Pitchers, even though they only pitch in like one game increments at a time, they still affect so many at-bats that, yeah, I have no problem with that. So, Steven Strasburg's postseason, I think, rivals Madison Bumgarner's postseason from two, from 2014. Everyone talks about Mad Bum in 2014 as, oh, the greatest pitching performance of all time yeah. in, in postseason history. It is certainly still way up there. Be. Still might be. But Steven Strasburg, in this postseason appeared five times, his record was 4-0, 40 strikeouts, and two walks with a 1.93 ERA. It is impossible to get 40 much. strikeouts? 40 strikeouts to two walks. That's astounding. Over the course of 28 innings. <laughs> That's amazing. Isn't it? Mad Bum in 2014 had 45 strikeouts in 52 and two-thirds innings. Now, Mad Bum had like two complete games. Strasburg didn't have one. And Mad Bum came out of the pin in like this huge moment. Well, game seven yes. in Kansas City, and he got the save. Exactly. So I think they are comparable. I, I'm i not going to say that Strasburg's is better than Mad Bum's, but I will say it's comparable. And people need to be talking about Strasburg's postseason as one of the yes. best postseason performances of all time from any pitcher. Oh, yeah. And... I feel like Steven Strasburg in general is just kind of an underrated number one overall pick as well. I would agree with you. Yeah. Because having Max Scherzer as your ace on that staff, it'll, you know, kind of make Strasburg fall into the number two category, which he really would be an ace on almost any other team. But Max Scherzer is a a bona fide Hall of Famer. And Steven Strasburg kind of doesn't get talked about like that. One, because... You know, he had the injuries and he's like the poster child for pitch counts and they're putting him on an innings limit and all of that stuff. So that kind of puts some shade on how good Steven Strasburg has been in his career. Well, the whole 2012 postseason kind of cast a shadow on a lot of his career because the Nationals did not pitch him in 2012 when he was having a standout yep. season and they put him on a pitch limit or innings limit and he did not pitch when the Nationals were in the playoffs. Yep. And now... And really, he's been a, a solid, solid postseason pitcher even before this October when you go back to the previous series that the Nats had against the Giants and the Cubs in 14 and, and 17. But this was just stuff of legend from Steven Strasburg. Eight and a third. In game six of the World Series, on the road against that offense, Strasburg going eight and a third innings after giving up two runs in the first inning, apparently the pitching coach discovered that he was tipping his pitches in the first inning. Yes, and yes. They go down the tunnel and they work it out. And you know, that was that was an incredibly impressive performance. Also, he was a huge reason why they ended up winning that wild card game against Milwaukee because Scherzer 
was a little eh, uh-huh. in that game, and Strasburg yep. comes in, stabilizes it, and the Nats yeah. come back. Yeah. If Trent Grisham does not let that that hit into right field past him from Juan Soto, I wonder I wonder if we're even having this discussion about the Nats today. It's funny how that works, right? I'd say the Dodgers are in the World Series then. And the Astros probably win. Probably. I mean, the, the Nationals just had this whole destiny thing, but going back to Steven Strasburg, this completely eradicates the thought that he's not a workhorse, right? Right. Because he was a complete work, workhorse throughout this season and in this postseason. Like, and that's that's the thing that, you know, innings limit and pitch limits I don't necessarily agree with, but hopefully like this can just get rid of that on Steven Strasburg's name because he's 31. Mm-hmm. Which shocked me because I th- I feel like he just got drafted yesterday. How did he How did he get to thirty one so quick? Like that I'm getting old. <laughs> I I, rem- I remember watching Steven Strasburg get drafted. I'm getting old. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So game seven, I-, I thought it was cool to see Max Scherzer and Anibal Sanchez embrace after the win. Yes, two players that had been in the World Series together with the Detroit Tigers back in 2012. And they fell short back then, and now they're together seven years later, and they win when Anibal Sanchez is at the tail end of his career. Max Scherzer, you don't know how much longer he is. Anibal Sanchez, a fringe MLB starting pitcher for most of the season, especially going into this year. And then almost throws a no hitter in St. Louis in game one of the NLDS or NLCS. Incredible. Um, Game six, though, had a lot of controversy the Trey Turner runner interference call. That luckily for Major League Baseball, maybe more so than the Washington Nationals, did not blow blow up in their face. Way luckier for Major League Baseball. What would everyone who watches baseball has an opinion on this runner interference call on Trey Turner in the seventh inning of Game Six? What was yours? What could Trey Turner have done? I mean, how how is that? I, the, the it was the right call call by the rule book, right? I don't understand. What's logical about that rule at all? I 100% agree with you. Like, what is what on earth is Trey Turner supposed to do? He did. He was in the baseline. Like, I, I'm not. It's it's befuddling. And my take is, what can Trey Turner do? And how is that? It's something. It's a. It's something they have to fix. So, I agree that it is with within the letter of the law. They they made the right call, and that's what sucks. But. Whether it's game six of the World Series or game six of the regular season, to make that call, in my opinion, it has to be egregious to make that call. That was not even close to being egregious. If you are asking a runner to stay in foul territory or on the line, running down the line, the the base is that happens every day. That happens every day, every baseball game ever, where there's a runner running down the first baseline, like. He's a little bit in fair territory. Like, what what are they going to do? Put the slow pitch softball second base? Like, the you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. Like, the base for the runner and the base for the fielder. Are they going to start doing that now? No, I I, I don't. This is, it's it's nonsensical. And it's it's going to get fixed. Like, it, it already kind of did blow up on Major League Baseball because some of the big media personalities out there had their takes on it. But you're absolutely right that Major League Baseball really dodged a bullet because the world would have gone up in flames if the Nationals lost because of that or something of that like. And I loved how Trey Turner was pointing to Joe Torre, who has a big position in Major League Baseball with the rules and the officiating and all that. And he's saying, 
go ask Joe. He's right there. He's not. He's trying not to say anything. He's got his head down. Look at him. Joe is right there because obviously it's a baseball play and like, and how can you not review it either? I don't know how. How is it's like it's it's kind of like the pass interference call NFC Championship. It is where it's like in this day and age we should be able to fix these problems pretty easily mm-hmm. and quickly. You hope so. But I mean, that review took forever. I mean, it felt I, I I was in a bar and I went and I was sitting down. The review started. I went to the bathroom, came back, and then waited for another thirty seconds for it to for it to be finalized. Mm-hmm. It took forever. Mm-hmm. Well, the other thing too about the NFC Championship game one is that that was just a completely blown missed call. It's not like it was a bad rule. This is a bad rule yeah. that should not have come to fruition in that instant. Like yes. Trey Turner did not egregious egregiously interfere with no. you, with you. You will know when a guy is egregiously interfering with somebody. Yeah. It's not like it hit Trey Turner's backside as no. he's, you know, shielding Guriel. And he didn't step phase. out of his way to get in Guriel's no. way. No. Wasn't even close. So that uh, I'm happy for Major League Baseball that the Astros did not come back yeah. to win game six because they would have had a PR nightmare yes. on their hands but if that had happened. What's good for Major League Baseball, though, is this World Series in game seven did well on social media. Like, no, I, nobody was nobody's saying right now, how does nobody care about baseball? Because the reaction they had to what happened and the national celebrating and everything like that with everything on the field and the game, nobody was saying, like, baseball is irrelevant. Nobody cares about the World Series, which was really good for baseball and like made me feel good driving home. Mm-hmm. The other thing we had in game six was Alex Bregman hitting the home run early in the game in the first inning, carrying the bat down to first base. <laughs> and then the chosen one, Juan Soto, hitting a moonshot, almost hitting the, the scoreboard above the second deck in right field. And he basically says, whatever you can do, I can do better carries the bat down to first base and it's almost like a bat drop instead of a mic drop awesome. that he did. Awesome. Did you love that? Yes, of course, because one, I don't really have much of a problem with bat flips unless you're just being like way too extra. Then it's like, just do the thing. Did you think Bregman was being way too extra? Not really. You know, I, that's not my style, mm-hmm. but in big moments, I, I'm not going to fault a guy for doing something, you so, know? Did you notice what Jose Altuve did? So, Jose Altuve, when Bregman hits that home run and he's crossed home plate and he's going back into the dugout, this is me making an, an assumption, okay? okay? But I heard after the game that Altuve sat Bregman down and said, we don't do that. That he sat him down in, in the dugout and they had that yeah. conversation and Bregman apologized after the game. But... Altuve, everyone's high-fiving Bregman as he's coming in. Altuve's just like sitting up against the the railing of the dugout, pointing towards the dugout to Bregman of almost like acting like a manager. That's awesome. Of we need to talk. That's awesome. It with and this is this is some speculation here, but Jose Altuve obviously being the smallest guy in baseball <laughs> is is really cool that he has that kind of clout, but also a cool environment where you have a younger star in Alex Bregman and a guy who's won an MVP, Jose Altuve, over 30 years old. And there's that kind of 
respect in a relationship where when Jose Altuve is upset, Bregman sits down. And he's like, dude, yep, absolutely. Like he's, that that says a lot about both of their character. I would agree. And Bregman apologizes after the game. Juan Soto might be the cockiest 21-year-old I've ever seen in baseball, and I love it. Good cocky, though. He's right. He's not He's right. not a jerk. Like, Yasiel Puig, I would say, is bad cocky many, many times. Juan Soto... He's more confident than cocky. Confident is a much better way to put okay. it. Because, yeah. And he's never been, in my view, disrespectful. Like, there's a way to have fun, enjoy the game... But then there is there is a line you cross that you're not looking to go over. Well, he doesn't do the Soto stare after every single ball. Yeah. I think that would be overboard. But it's almost like he's p- trying to play mind games in uh-huh. certain situations within a game when he does the Soto stare. Yeah. I kind of like it. I kind of love it, actually. Yeah, absolutely. Everything about the, the Soto stare. So by the two of the most impressive home runs I have ever seen hit by Juan Soto. Game one, Oppo on the train tracks. And then game six off Verlander, 96 mile per hour, almost out of the strike zone, up and in. And he cranked that. Incredible hand control. I'm surprised it didn't hit the roof. I'm surprised it's landed <laughs> yeah. at this point. Well, I, I'm i still thinking about the one he hit off Kershaw. Well, yeah. Because I remember, I could, that is just, it's so seared into my brain how I saw that ball off the bat and like, Baseballs aren't supposed to fly like that. <laughs> especially off Kershaw. Especially off Kershaw. I mean, it was it was a cock shot, like right down the middle. You're salivating at hitting that pitch. But man, dude, he got the hands through and yanked that thing. Juan Soto became a star in this postseason. Yes, more Which, so. A- everyone knew that he was a good young player. He became a star mm-hmm. in this postseason. And he, he, Ronald Acuna, I think, has taken a lot of that from him because Acuna has had more theatrics and exciting moments and he's just generally a more quote electric player because he's faster and he plays you know a a faster more speedy flashy game Mm -hmm. and so Juan Soto I think kind of fell behind in that and Juan Soto's always been a great hitter but his defense has been suspect in many instances but now I mean the guy at the plate is unreal I took a screenshot of a photo and sent it to you the other night after I believe it would have been after game seven. And I'm thinking about buying this shirt. <laughs> yes. It's off Barstool. And neither of us are uh, the biggest fans of Barstool. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I am I'm. like unionization. So, But the shirt says the chosen one, and it's Soto doing the bat drop. That's and so, good. And Soto's my boy. I have, You know me. I've been talking up Juan Soto all season long as being the guy that basically makes Bryce Harper irrelevant in DC now. Oh, who cares about Bryce Harper now? Like you have Juan Soto who's a better hitter. Thank you. That's not that wasn't the discussion though and that wasn't the crux of the discussion yes. earlier in the year. Yes. Calvin Smith has finally come around on Juan Soto being better than Bryce Harper. I said a better hitter. It's not like Bryce Harper is great in the field. But Bryce Harper is better in the field. Okay, but Juan Soto is a better... He, he's a much better hitter than Bryce Harper. Yes. Overall, yes. Yes. I would take Juan Soto on my team seven days a week, 365 days a year over Bryce Harper. Some Juan Soto appreciation here. So one of my little stats, I like weighted runs created plus 100 is the average, and every number over 100 is 1%. Mm-hmm. So, 
In 2018, Juan Soto's weighted runs created plus was 145. In and then la- this season, it was 142, meaning he was 45 percent and 42 percent better than average in Major League Baseball before he turned 21. Isn't that nuts? That is astounding. Over 40 percent better than the average MLB hitter, and it's park adjusted. So, so that means if he was playing like Great American or Coors, that would negate some of his stats. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Unreal. How does that compare to Bryce Harper? How does that compare to Bryce Harper? I can pull it up. I mean, the good friends at Baseball Reference, is that where you are getting... Fan graphs. The, uh, fan graphs, okay. Do fan graphs and Baseball Reference have two different w- weighted runs created? They have different wars, which bothers me so much. It, it really does. But Juan Soto, I got to tell you, dude became a star. And I kind of hope inside the NL East, Acuna and Soto kind of become kind of like Bonds and Griffey, what they were back in the yeah. day of Acuna oh, yeah. kind of being the Griffey type yeah. and Soto being the Bonds type. That's a good comparison. If they can have that kind of back and forth and stay in Atlanta and Washington for years to come, I think that'd be a lot of fun. So you asked for Bryce Harper's weighted runs created plus. Yes. Uh, 125 this year, 25% better than average. 134 the year before that. 155 the year before that. And then in his great, fantastic MVP season, take a take a guess at what number? 180? 197. Yeah. That's how good he was in that one year. And that's, that's a big part of my infatuation with him. Yeah, well, we are a long way off from there. But, I mean, it's, saying Bryce Harper sucks, though, is still... Inaccurate. I mean, the numbers I just read are both above average and very good. I never said he sucks. I said he's overrated. There's a difference. He's also vastly overpaid. I do see a lot. Of, I do see a lot of people say he sucks. So that was more a shot at anybody who at says he people. sucks. At the people. And not me. <laughs> yes, not at Ryan. All right. Here was another thought I had towards the end of game seven. How much money did Astros fans spend to attend four World Series games and not see their team win? Obviously, depending on where you're sitting, but those tickets are five, six, seven hundred dollars a pop. At least. At least. Maybe in the upper deck. Yeah, no, absolutely. You someone would have spent what a lot of people equate to a life savings to watch their team lose all four home games in the World Series. Oh, yeah, more than I have in my bank account for sure. How just think of that. They they spent all that money and did not see their team yep. win well, in the World that, Series. You, Mattress Matt? Mattress Max? Something like that. Mattress Matt. Mattress Matt. The guy who puts down millions of dollars on the Strohs. I mean, obviously he's got money to burn, but like the dude put in like $10 million <laughs> for the Astros to win the World Series. I'm sure he, um, well, he's he's probably still fine. Like, Yes, I mean, he, he probably wouldn't spend that money if he didn't have it. But. Exactly. He's probably one of those people that just walks around with $100 bills in his pocket. Oh, absolutely. But still, all of that, even for the Nationals, I mean, all their fans who went to those games, they also went home upset. And and after game five, or excuse me, after after, uh, they lost the third game at home, Mm -hmm. what the heck? They're down in the series all of a sudden. Like, that's not encouraging. I, I, again, as I said at the top, a weird but really enjoyable and entertaining World Series. Yes. 
And I, it's not going to go down as an all-time great, probably. But this Nationals team will go down as this like crazy story that was really, really fun. Starting 19 and 31. And then... They didn't even win their division. I'm going to get to that in a minute. But <laughs> they, they kind of rally around Baby Shark in the second half of the season with Gerardo Parra. And I, I think I tweeted this out the other night. In my lifetime, the 2019 Nats are up there with the 04 Red Sox as two of the most impressive postseason runs of all time. Yes. And really, the 04 Red Sox was really just the ALCS because mm-hmm. they beat the Angels in the first round, whatever. But down 0-3 against the Yankees, and then they went eight straight to win the World Series. Incredible story, especially with the curse and, and all that uh, oh, going yeah. on. Yep. But what the Nationals did with their backs against the wall the entire postseason, the wild card game against Milwaukee, they came back and won. Against the Dodgers, down 2-1 in the series. Force game five, come back in game five. Howie Kendrick hits a grand slam. The two home runs that Howie Kendrick hits wins them the NLDS against, I believe, the all-time winningest team to not advance in the postseason. The team, I think the Dodgers had the most wins ever yes, I think so to too. get knocked out in the first round. And then the Astro, he then he has the home run to beat the Astros. Howie Kendrick at 36 years old, an incredible postseason. And then they sweep the Cardinals, and then down 3-2 in the World Series, you go to Houston, and you end Houston, up winning the whole thing. And you're facing great pitchers. Like It wasn't like the, the Astros were walking to the finish line tattered and torn. They faced Cole and Verlander combined four times in the World Series and won three. How many teams can escape that not many in the regular season at all I mean heck nobody could beat Garrett Cole during the regular season but they couldn't beat Yo- Jose your cure your Kitty or however yeah you say yeah that yeah dude's name yeah they couldn't beat him but they beat Verlander twice and Cole uh once in this the whole like baseball is one of the more random sports out there certainly more than basketball uh, football because it is played on a week to week, like one game basis. There's going to be randomness from that, and then in hockey things get crazy in the postseason. But randomness is sport in sports is so cool, and mm-hmm. like every time these things happen, it just reminds you like why we like sports, why we always tune back in, and why we watch it. Because as good as we can get at predicting and all that stuff, there's always going to be something crazy, and there's always something unexpected. Because you can be 99% certain something's going to happen. But the 1% can still happen. And what did we say two days after the trade deadline in the season? That the fact that the Astros got Zach Greinke means that they're going to win the World Series. And he pitched well for them. And he (laughs) pitched Game 7 of the World Series and pitched lights out up until the seventh inning. Yes. And they end up losing. And sports sports is the greatest reality TV that we have going. If somebody could explain to me how it happened, then I would be bored. But nobody, like... In everything you hear about this, no one can actually explain like what was the main cog because there's so many factors to it that it's just amazing to watch unfold before you. And 19 and 31, too. <laughs> you know? 19 and 31, the first ever team to be 12 games under 500 to reach the World Series. Everyone's talking about the Nats got to start tanking again. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, between the Nats and the St. Louis Blues in hockey, yes. now you can't count anybody out. For the next few years, everyone's going to be like, oh, well, the Blues and Nats did it, so yep. our team can do it. Kind of what stinks about football. The Patriots are just going to win it. I kind of wish I could feel what Nationals fans are feeling. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, I, well, as a Reds fan, I cannot, I, I can't relate. 
I, I cannot relate to this feeling that the Nationals fan base has. I wish I could relate. And I don't know how long it's going to take. But one day, what happened in Houston the other night will happen in Cincinnati or Atlanta, in your case. The Braves are mighty close. And that makes it sting a little bit more knowing that you are the better team, knowing that the Atlanta Braves are better than the Washington Nationals. But for one postseason, it didn't matter one bit. It gives me hope, though. What the Nats did with the three-headed monster in the rotation gives me hope as a Reds fan with Castillo, Bauer, and Gray. But those guys aren't the same. I hate to rain on your parade. It gives me hope. I just want hope, Calvin. You can have. I just want to. You can have hope. Some hope. That's all I want to do with my Reds fandom. Verlander's a Hall of Famer. Grinky, you'll probably get consideration. Cole is still building a resume. Bauer, Castillo, and Sonny Gray, good pitchers, good MLB careers, made a lot of money. Or they're Luis Castillo is going to make a lot of money. But that's Luis. Luis Castillo is going to be in the Hall of Fame one day. I I am the firefighter here, and I'm pulling out my hose and just kind of. Tamping you down a little bit, <laughs> making sure you don't go too far, like trying to make sure you stay contained. Okay. All right. Well, hopefully we're sitting here on November 1st, 2020, talking about the Reds winning the World Series. That'd be a lot of fun. That would be really something to talk about. <laughs> that really would. I would. I probably wouldn't be here. I'd probably still be in Cincinnati. Oh, you would be. So that's kind of our synopsis of... Game seven of the World Series. Congrats to the Nats on an incredible run to the World Series. And we kind of carry over some Nats discussion into our favorite segment of the week, Around the Horn. Steven Strasburg, MVP. We talked about him a good bit. But he has an opt-out in his contract. He can get out, and he's making a lot of money. He signed a seven-year deal worth $175 million. He'd be leaving a lot of that still on the table. But Ryan, I think you think he may want to get out because he's from San Diego, out west, where Garrett Cole is also from, who is rumored to be going to the Los Angeles Angels, who now have Joe Madden. A lot adds up there if you want to get into conspiracy theories about Steven Strasburg. I'm not thinking Angels, though, with Steven Strasburg. I can see him in pinstripes. The Yankees need that ace pitcher to get them over the top. They have a they have incredible offense with all sorts of young studs, and they have solid pitching, but they don't have that bona fide ace that has crushed Severino them is not that in the playoffs. The last few times they've been in the playoffs, they have been ousted by really, really, really good pitching. I think they are going to overspend, and I could see them throwing over $200 million at Steven Strasburg. Ooh, and that's how many years? I mean, $200 million, that's got to be, I mean, at least seven years? Sure. Maybe eight? Oh, that's right. Steven Strasburg, like I said, is 31. Look, we see these contracts happen all the time in baseball. The Yankees have to be desperate. I don't think think they have to be, though. I think they are still very well, firmly not, in contention without having to overpay. I'm not saying they have to be. I'm thinking, like, when you think of the you got to think they're desperate. Like, almost like I expect them to be I mean, just with the fact that they keep falling short 
I mean, this is the first decade in a long, long, long time that they didn't win a World Series. Yeah. And they don't. If you're the Yankees, you don't fall short. Like, that's not the exactly. standard. That's not how this works in New York. However, exactly. I wonder how their front office will be evaluating that. Because I don't think this, this isn't the same Yankees that it used to be where they're going to go out and throw money around. I think they're going to be a little bit more savvy with the move they make. The, the other thing with the Nats, I wonder if they can afford to keep Strasburg if Tough. he weren't to opt out and re-sign Anthony Rendon. You're going to have to go pay Soto. Get ready for that because those arbitration years will come up and those are going to be big arbitration years too. Absolutely. Ryan, you put on the grid, you have something for me and I have no clue what it is. You have no clue what it is. I have no clue what this is. I'm very interested and I'm sure it's going to poke fun at something I've said. Not something you've said, but maybe the team that you root for. Okay. The Marlins won the 1997 World Series after winning 92 games and they were the wildcard team. The Marlins won the 2003 World Series after winning 91 games and they were the wildcard team. The Nationals here in 2019 won 93 games. They were the wildcard team and they won the World Series. The Atlanta Braves won the NL East each of those years with <laughs> win totals of 101, 101, and 97. Sorry, Calvin. Yeah. Oh, here's a good question I just thought of. Okay. Whose big three are you taking? Nationals big three, Astros big three, Braves prime, Smoltz, Glavin, Maddox three. Oh. We were talking about those old Braves teams as I give you a second to think about this. We were talking about those Braves teams. I'm like, well, the Braves won the division each of those years and shoot, that three-headed pitching monster didn't pay off for them. And then I thought, whoa, whose three-headed monster are you taking? I might have to go with the Braves. You, I mean, those are three Hall of Famers. Yes. Like, no doubters. Right. Although Verlander, Cole, Grinky this year, even though they didn't win the World Series, I mean, that was pretty dynamite. But I have to go with the Braves. I, you have to, because there has never been a staff like that. There has never been a three like that. See, I wouldn't even put the Nationals in the same conversation as the Braves because Patrick Corbin not is guy. not a future Hall of Famer. No. no, no, no. Good pitcher, not a future Hall of Famer. Yes. And those are three bona fide Hall of Famers. Mm. That was a great question. That was. I was very surprised it just came to me for a second. You, you completely overshadowed the, uh, the stats that I threw out there. You're a very stat guy and numbers guy. I threw out those yeah. numbers, and you're like, here, let me think of a different question. <laughs> well, it made me sad, Ryan. It made me sad, and I like to be happy. <laughs> we we, we want to be happy on this podcast. Our third topic, I got to give a shout-out to Anthony Rendon. Because the be- at the beginning of the year, you and I, Ryan, had a heated discussion about who the best third baseman in baseball is. And this man, Anthony Rendon, is quietly putting together his case. Especially over the last couple of years. He wasn't the same guy five years ago, but... You were staunchly on Arenado. I was in the Matt Chapman train, leading the Matt Chapman fan club. But Anthony Rendon, I mentioned Weighted Runs Created Plus earlier on in the podcast. 100 is average. Anything over one, every increment over one is a percent. 154 this season, meaning he was 54% better than the average MLB hitter this season, which was better than Juan Soto this year. Did we ever even mention Anthony Rendon in that conversation? I Nope. I think we mentioned Alex Bregman. We did. Trying to think of who else that we would have. We I think we might have. I think Rind. I think the conversation would have gone like Rendon had a good year. Yeah, but he's not up there. He's up there. I mean, he has to be. Did Did you see the stat of his at bats in the seventh inning or later of elimination games? 
No. He... They put it on Fox TV in Game 7 while he went up to the plate. It was like walk, double, double, home run, home run, (laughs) double, double, home run, double. That's awesome. He didn't get out until they put that graphic up there and then he got out twice in the last two innings. In the postseason this year, Juan Soto in in the NLDS hit 412, 455 on base, 765 slug. In the CS... Hit 417, on base percentage over 500, with a slugging of 500. So two OPSs over one, fantastic. And then in the World Series, it wasn't as good, but he still had an OPS of 930. So yeah, he was hitting the cover off the ball and a legitimate postseason MVP candidate for the Nationals that doesn't that just doesn't come up in these conversations. People debated Strasburg and Soto for World Series MVP, and I'm sitting back thinking. Why aren't you talking about Rendon? He's in the conversation. He had a lot of clutch hits, not only in the World Series, but the postseason as well. But it's World Series MVP and not playoff MVP. Now that the Astros have lost, I kind of wonder how much is left in the tank for them. Garrett Cole is leaving. Justin Verlander, 36 years old. Zach Greinke, 36 years old. George Springer on the wrong side of 30. Altuve on the wrong side of 30. They have some young stars. Kyle Tucker, Carlos Correa, Alex Bregman. Jordan Alvarez. Jordan Alvarez, who can absolutely tear the cover off the ball. Forrest Whitley coming up in their minor leagues. But I have to wonder, how much does this great team who we've witnessed have left? Well, Vegas doesn't care about that question. Vegas says the Astros are the favorites in 2020 to win the World Series at 5-1 to odds. So how are they going to replace the pitching? That's all I wonder about. Because I expect regression from Grinky and Verlander and Cole is leaving and Ozuna is controversial. All right. Lance McCullers will be coming back. Not the same, but... He's going to get hurt again, though. He could. He could. I think Brad Peacock is a pretty good pitcher. Yes. But none of them are on the level of Garrett Cole. None of them are on the level of Garrett Cole or what they've gotten from Verlander. Right. And that's a huge part of this. I mean, Verlander gave up gobs of home runs this year yes in the regular season and the playoffs and still had great numbers which is really hard to sustain either you bring the home runs down or the all the other numbers are going to go up yep so i would not have the astros as the odds on favorite to win the world series in vegas they say astros five to one dodgers and yankees at six to one and then your atlanta braves at ten to one and i say that's a really attractive bet because the braves they're bound to move some of this minor league talent soon for some big league guys along the same formula as the Astros. It's there. It's really all there for you Braves fans. Nationals are 14 to 1. Yeah, you can't bet on them two years in a row. Then the Reds are 50 to 1. 50 to 1. And then we have four teams at 1,000 to 1. Marlins, Orioles, Tigers, and Royals. Yeah, not even worth You're wasting money if you Not put even money worth on them. a penny. Yeah, you are wasting money at that point. It's the off-season, Calvin. Here we go. The hot stove is going to come up. I know. I want to know. I'm so curious at the winter meetings when stuff's brewing. The Braves, we've been talking about it for years, are bound to do something eventually because they just have so many weapons. Waters, Pache, Ian Anderson, all these guys in the minor league farm system are there. You wonder when they're going to be ready for the big-time show. They're bound to either just bring them all up and they're going to be here and be ready eventually in the next two years or they're going to do what might be smart now, pour some gas on this fire they have in the bigs right now 
and go win and trade some of these young prospects. I think you either do one or the other. I don't think you try to half-ass it. I think they're going to. I think they're going to do both. You think you're, they're going to do both? They're going. They're going to try to navigate this by probably trying to keep Pache and Anderson or mm-hmm. something like that. They're going to try to keep a couple of those guys and then work them in and then deal off the sides like they've been doing. Like they traded Colby Allard because that just didn't work out. Do you think they trade Kyle Wright? They might need to because he's been struggling. Well, he still has value. He's been struggling. I wonder how much value Kyle Wright has left right now. And I, I, I don't mean that in like a hyperbolic, oh, he's a bust. But not what you saw was not encouraging this year. And the command issues are very real, despite really good stuff. Mm-hmm. At this point, you, you draft that college pitcher fifth overall because he's going to be the guy sooner rather than later. And he's not. Just for his own good, he might need to go to just another system. And He needs to get working with the Reds and driveline. I know. Kyle Bodie. Kyle Bodie. Our boy. I told you about him here on the Home Plate Podcast. You did. And I'm sure when you mentioned his name earlier in the season, it just went in one ear and out the other. Yeah. I was like, who's that guy? Yeah. And all of a sudden, he's going to revolutionize the Reds pitching staff for years to come. Oh, and it's going to be intense what they're doing, too. Reds, 50 to 1. Can I go to Vegas right now and put money on it? <laughs> I mean, 50 to 1, I feel like, is actually good odds to put $5 on the Reds for. I mean, why not? Because you know, the pitch, the pitching is good. They're not completely barren in terms of their lineup. They have some pieces. They have some pieces. Now let's see how many they can go get. Yeah. Maybe Didi Gregorius. Maybe. That wouldn't be crazy. Although Didi is not the same guy if he's not in in Yankee pinstripes, I think. He's playing in Great American Small Park if he's with the Reds. He would be. He would be. So he would get some some extra home runs off of that, just like he did at the short ports in Yankee Stadium. Yeah, yeah. We will have plenty of time this month to discuss the hot stove. One season's in the books, Calvin. We did it. We did it. Season one. High five. There we go. For Calvin Smith, I'm Ryan Poor. Thank you for listening to the Home Plate Podcast. We will talk to you soon on ESPN 1025 The Game and thegamenashville.com.